0: Thank you so much, David. Would you take your Bible and turn with me to the book of James, chapter 3? James, chapter 3. You find the outline to the sermon this morning in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. And if you don't have a Bible, on the back of your bulletin is the text for the passage of Scripture today, and you can always find this Bible normally in the chair in front of you to follow along. It's helpful to Read along as we study God's word here this morning. Isn't it amazing that after so many years you can still remember that compliment someone gave you that totally changed your life or that just brightened your day? Uh, Isn't it amazing how just a few words at the right time can make a world of a difference? On the other side, isn't it amazing, there are things that people said to you years ago, you still remember, that cut right to your heart, that just, that just really were so true, it hurt. And when they said it, all of a sudden, you realized, wow, I have a problem, or wow, this is a big deal, or you just felt depressed, or whatever, the, the critiques people have of you boy, that that can hurt. And it's not even something that they necessarily remember saying. It's just it happened, and you still remember it. We all can remember saying things we regret. I know I have said so many things that as soon as I say it, I instantly regret it. Have you ever been there? Someone once described it like a toothpaste in a tube. Once it's been squished out, it can't be pushed back in. I think the same can be said for our words. We can all remember times, maybe it's been a long time, maybe it's been when you were a kid when you started a rumor or you fed a rumor that turned out not to be true, and when it got back to the person who it's about, it really hurt them, and you felt terrible. I know that's true of me. You know, what we say, what we say shows what's happening in our hearts, and what we talk about comes comes from our hearts. What comes out of our mouth just, it, it finds its source deep in our hearts our soul deep in what we think about deep in what we meditate on it it finds its source in what we believe what we desire and and the things we think will come out have you ever found yourself um, stewing on something and thinking about something and, and not being too worried about it because you know you never actually say it and then the moment comes and boy it's not it's like you can't even help yourself it just boom before you know it you're saying what you thought you'd never say yet you've been thinking about for a long time and boy when it came out it may have felt great but instantly you regretted it have you ever been there because what we say comes from our our hearts. Everything that comes out begins inside. I think sometimes people will say something like, I've even heard people tell me, well, pastor, I just had to say what I had to say. you got to say what you got to say. And I think, oh, do you really? And we stew. We stew. We get angry. And we, we allow things to build up until they explode. And other times, we don't even think about it. We just are careless with our speech. We just Fling out words, not realizing that our words are like darts, and they're piercing hearts of people that we love, and they're hurting because of our words, and we don't even realize it. We're just throwing them around. it happens to a lot of folks, as well. As you can tell, the words that we say are very important, and, and the Bible has a lot to say about your speech. And there may not be something quite as convicting as hearing a message on the tongue, because all of us, in one way or another, struggle with what we say. We struggle with how to say it. We struggle with not saying what we're supposed to say. We struggle with saying things we're not supposed to say, because ultimately it all comes down to our hearts. I've I've titled this message, Grace-Filled Speech, and I think you'll see why in a little while, but the book of James uses the word, the tongue, to talk about our speech. He's not just talking about the physical member in your body. He's talking about your speech. Before we look at what God's Word tells us about ourselves as it peels back the layers of pretentiousness and pride it, pu- it puts us right in our place of where we are and shows us our need for a savior our need for our lord let's go to god in prayer and ask for his grace lord we do ask you this morning that you would show us from your word how we ought to to live and how we ought to speak and i pray that the 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 truth of your word would pierce our hearts and as we are honest with ourselves we'd see how often we fail and the need we have for a savior one who is perfect and one who gave himself for us that we might have forgiveness of these exact sins and redemption and, and a home in heaven. And these, these sins that we commit against each other with our tongue are important and are, are destructive. And Lord, forgive us of these. Give us a tender heart. and Give us good speech with one another that we might edify, build up, and show grace in what we say. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. James chapter 3, if you look with me in verse 1, we'll begin to see the first simple point this morning is the tongue's powerful potential. You might not think that speech is really that important or that what you say really matters, but the Bible disagrees with you because we see first that the potential for influence brings greater scrutiny. Look at verse 1. He says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive the stricter judgment. What's amazing here is that he says that rather than recruiting pastors and recruiting people to come into full-time speaking or ministering or teaching, James is actually saying, actually, it's better if all of you don't become teachers. It's better. In fact, you should not desire this. I this this goal. You should be very careful. There's a warning here about wanting to be a teacher because not everybody wants to be a teacher for the right reasons. Some people just want to be a boss. One of my one of my uh, my brothers or sisters, I won't say which, we used to call her Miss Bossy Pants. See, I just told you, (laughs) because her main goal was to boss people around, and she liked to be in charge. And she liked to tell people what to do and where to go and what they should be wearing and what they should be eating and all that kind of stuff. And you know, the Bible tells us you better be careful if you think you're going to be a teacher. And then here are the implications of truth a teacher of God's word. You need to be careful, you need to be warned because a teacher brings influence. I was reading a, a book this past year with our deacons entitled Biblical Leadership, talking about servant leadership. Ken Collier, a good friend of ours, dear friend in the ministry at the Wilds for many years. He said, leadership is influence, and influence is the ability to move a person in a direction you believe is important. And truly powerful leaders all have influence. And if you're going to be a teacher, you're going to have influence, you're going to influence people to change what they do. And all of you have influence. With your speech, you then communicate that influence, whether for good or for bad. And as a teacher, God will hold you extra accountable for where you lead people. This terrifies me, and it ought to. It ought ought to scare every Sunday school teacher and preacher of the Word of God into a humble fear of God. That you say, I I had better be careful what I say, and I better stick to God's Word because God's going to hold me extra accountable. It says here, the greater scrutiny, the the more in the Scripture, the greater judgment, the stricter judgment, the, the greater of these judgments. Because where where you take people, you are responsible for them. When you're leading, you're responsible for them, more so than those who are following. And this is so important. Leadership is like one, one person told me one time we were meeting after I became the senior pastor here. I said, do you have any advice for me? And this man said, yes. He said, leadership is a megaphone. You don't have to talk very loud and people will listen. And that has stuck with me forever because, because leader, it's like that when you teach, people will listen to you and people will change their lives based on what you say. If you're opening God's Word, there is a stricter judgment. There is a potential for influence with your mouth. And friends, that brings greater scrutiny from God. And there's a danger of leading people the wrong direction. The Bible tells us this, Matthew 18. Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it will be better for him the a millstone hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Whoa, that's some violent language from our Lord and Savior. He's like, if you cause one of my children to walk away from me, it's better that you were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man to whom the offenses come. In fact, the Bible tells us that Everyone needs to be careful about their speech, including those in leadership, government especially. He says, excellent speech is not becoming to a fool, much less lying limps, lips to a prince. In Matthew chapter 12, we're told that we will give accountability to God for everything we say. I say to you that for every idle word or every useless word or every foolish word a man may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 12… We're also told that God brings everything into his eye, everything into his judgment. God will bring every work into judgment, according to every, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. God knows what we're doing. Nothing escapes God's eye because we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And how are you teaching with the things you say and the things you do? When I was in college, there was a group of really rambunctious young men who uh, got in trouble because they got in, in shopping carts and pushed themselves down a hill and, uh, and, and wrecked uh, themselves, uh, just being ridiculous, right? right. And uh, they did this with a bunch of crew. And, and some people got in trouble, but the people who got in the most trouble were the leaders of that crew because they led other people who thought, okay, let's just do this. This sounds like fun. Now, is it stupid to do stupid things? Absolutely. But it's more stupid to lead people to do stupid things. The same could be said for our speech. Friends, when we are leading people with our speech, we must be careful because we will receive the stricter judgment. There's also here, he says, that there's a potential for sin. The Bible gives us this this listing here of the potential for sin, and because of that, this demands self-control from our tongue. Would you read with me in verse 2? He says, For we all stumble in many things, or maybe you could read that in many different areas. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. He says, our lives are marked By our inability to avoid sin. This is a human condition, friends. We are just going to be that way. We are not going to be perfect. We are going to stumble. We are going to fall. We are going to make mistakes. We are going to lose our footing. We are going to easily slip and fall. When you stumble, no one tries to stumble, right? You're trying to just walk. You're trying to just get from point A to point B, but people slip or people stumble accidentally. And he's, he's not talking here about the kind of sin one engages in willfully, that is throwing yourself headlong into sin. What, what James is referring to here is the surprise sins, the unexpected sins, the sins that, that came out of nowhere. It's like it, it, we've all been there. When, when you do something or you say something that even surprises yourself, it happens so fast, like you're on the ground and you already fell and you don't even know how you got there. That kind, of, that kind of quick stumbling. And he says, we all stumble in many areas. And if you can keep from stumbling with your speech, you're the complete man. You're the perfect, you're the mature person. Because the hardest area for your stumbling to be under control is your speech. He just puts it right out there. He says that the complete person is able, he says, to bridle or restrain or control the body like you would control a horse, you know, with a bridle. You're you're controlling, you control your body if you can control your speech. If you you show me a person who has control over his speech, I guarantee you has control in other areas of his life because what we say comes from what we think and what we do comes from what we think and what we say is very obvious to everyone. What we do is not always obvious. Everyone, He says here all believers ought to strive to be people who are self-controlled. In fact, did you know that self-control, if we lack self-control, it can lead us to temptation and sin. There's an there's idea out there today that you don't really need self-control, you just need to be filled by the Spirit. Friends, you have self-control when you're filled by the Spirit. You need to be filled by the Spirit of God, and you need to develop self-control, because the Bible says if you do not have self-control, you can be tempted towards sin. 1 Corinthians 7, 5, talking about marriage relationships, and there was a problem that some husbands and wives were not sleeping together like they were supposed to. They were not living together with proper intimacy as they, were, as they should as a husband and wife. And and Paul says, okay, it's okay if you separate from one another for just a little while, so you may uh, spend extra attention in prayer. That's okay. However, he says, do not deprive one another except for consent for a time that you may give yourself to prayer and come together again. Why? So that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Self-control is a gateway for Satan to tempt you into other sin." So we need to develop self-control. Self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and there's the last one, self-control. We should develop self-control in our speech. And in fact, a key identifier of the last days is people lack self-control. 2 Timothy 2. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus, as things that you heard among many witnesses... He says, be able to teach... Oh, I put the wrong verse. I'm so sorry. I apologize. The tongue is, uh, is the most difficult area for self-discipline. The tongue is the most difficult area for self-discipline. From, if you think of all the areas of self-discipline, from food to romance, all these areas, the most difficult in self-discipline is what you say, because what you say comes from what you think. To keep going, verse 3, he says to us, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths... That they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships. Although they are so large, driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Two illustrations here which speak of the element of control. The first illustration is bits for horses' mouths. Look at a horse, a gigantic animal, beautiful beast, right? And you see them there, and they have a little horse, I mean, a little bit that goes to that horse's mouth. I mean, it's tiny, it's like this big, and it sticks in the horse's jaw. And from that little bit, You can control the whole animal. What a picture for what the tongue can do. It's not big. Your tongue is such a small piece. But boy, that one little thing can control your whole life. You say the wrong things, it can get you in all kinds of trouble. You say the right things at the right time, and God can use it in amazing ways. There's another illustration he gives of rudders for ships. He says, look at the ships. It's amazing to me, he uses two illustrations, both from the the transportation industry here. you got horses for land and ships for water. And he says, I mean, the ships get tossed around by the waves. It's amazing to see how the the, the gigantic waves are just beating this ship to pieces. And yet the ship can still go the right direction because there's a rudder on the back which directs the big ship to where it's supposed to go. And I, I just thought here at the end, I would just ask, how is the tongue a powerful pilot? I love he says that it's a pilot, a small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. The tongue is like our pilot, it's, it directs us, has a tremendously powerful impact. How are you teaching with the things you say and you do? With your family, with your friends, with your church? In what ways are you exercising leadership over your fellow believers? Are you leading them in a way that's pleasing to God? When you're with people, are you taking them away from God? Or are you taking them toward God with your choices? I mean, it's simple things, like you're hanging out at someone's house, and you say, what do you want to watch on TV? You have a choice. Do you want to lead them away from God, or do you want to lead them to God? Because there's a lot of things you could choose that would lead people away from God. Friends, be careful where you lead people. God calls us to have self-control as a fruit of the Spirit. It should be part of our, part of our development as Christians. 2 Peter chapter 1 talks about our development, this very reason. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge to knowledge, Self-control. To self-control, perseverance. Then verse 80 says, if these things are yours and are increasing, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to have a life that is full of self-control of the tongue. The tongue is a powerful potential for good and for ill, for preaching the truth, for influencing, directing people towards good things, and also a tendency to influence people towards bad things. So we have the tongue and its powerful potential we also have the tongues evil tendencies in this next section god warns us <clears throat> about the danger the evil tendencies of the tongue left on its own it's like the tongue tends towards wickedness he in fact describes the tongue like a dangerous fire he has evil tendencies when its evil spreads look at verse 5 he's the end of verse 5 see how great a forest, a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. And it sets on fire the course of nature. And it's set on fire by hell. First, I want you to notice that the tongue, as its evil tendencies here are described as that which spreads. He says, how great a forest fire is brought about by such a small flame. That's the picture. Now, think about it. It doesn't take much to start a fire. And and it's, and it's true that it doesn't take much to get things going. And once it goes, you have lost control. I have a New York Times article dated November 1, 2007. It says a 10-year-old boy admitted he accidentally started one of the largest of last week's Southern California wildfires while playing with match, matches, enforcement officers, officials say. The blaze, which was called the Buckweed Fire, started in the early afternoon of October 21 in Agunadulke, a, a rural community in the northern part of Los Angeles County, fanned by high uh, winds and hot dry weather, it spread quickly driving 15,000 people from their homes. Destroying 21 houses, 22 other buildings, injuring three people, and blackening more than 38,000 acres. Investigators immediately began to trace the cause of the fire, and the arson investigators from Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department talked with a suspect whose name has not been released. And they said that it turned out it was this young boy. He acknowledged that he was playing with matches, and accidentally, his words set the fire. Fires begin small and grow out of control. So it is with our tongue. Speech is like this. It doesn't take much for a few words to spread until they're out of your control. And that's the picture he says. Look at verse 6. He says, the tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. It's a whole cosmos of wickedness can be found in the words of the tongue. He says the tongue is so set among our members, it defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature. It is, it is set in such a way, it occupies the position in our body in such a way that it has the position of being able to pollute the whole body. This is the danger of the tongue. The body is all you are. It burns, it sets on fire the whole of our life, the course of nature. Your whole life can be ruined by saying the wrong thing. You know that. The wrong thing at the wrong time can just totally derail your life or your career. The the tongue is an incredibly dangerous thing. It was speech in the Garden of Eden which drove Eve to be deceived towards sin. Our, our, our speech is so important. Our tongue is so important. And when it comes to speech, look at what he says at the end there hell provides the match. It says it's set on fire by hell itself. Satan himself is the one who provides the match for our speech because the, evil has, the tongue has evil tendencies as it spreads. It spreads. Look at verse 7 and 8. The evil cannot be tamed. For every kind of beast and bird, or reptile, or creature of the sea is tamed, has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. He says here, you might be good... People at taming animals. I mean, go to the circus. Have you ever been to one of those? Like, ever been to SeaWorld and seen the what they do with the whales there? It's unbelievable. How do they get them to do that? I have no idea. And they sit there and they do this stuff and they and the whales like respond uh, and, and they obey these these. And ma- I know there've been bad things that have happened with whales in the past, but it's it's pretty incredible. Even the seals and the sea lions and the and these animals that the dolphins. The dolphin show. We went recently to the Atlanta Aquarium. My brother got married in Atlanta. Of my kids and I went to the Atlanta Aquarium. We went to watch the, the dolphin show and to see these these animal trainers conduct these animals around. I, I can't I don't know how they did it but they tamed them. They they tamed wild animals. They got them to do what they want to do so that when they say this, the, the animal does whatever this means. So like it jumps or it flips or whatever, right? It's incredible. He says he says look around you. I mean you could tame basically anything. Every kind of animal has been tamed even these killer whales. Go to, the, go to the circus, you see lions, and you see elephants, and you see all kinds of big animals that you would not want to approach in the wild, yet there they are, like the guy is opening his mouth, sticking his head inside. You're thinking, what are you doing, right? Because it's a tamed wild animal, or the elephants are like standing on one leg. It's amazing. But look at where he goes with this. He says, you can tame anything except your tongue. He says, tongue is like a wild animal. It's not... Tameable, And and this really kind of baffled me for a little bit because my original title for my message was Taming the Tongue. I thought, boy, that's a good alliterated Baptist message title right there. That'll work, right? But then I got to reading and studying this passage, and I became overwhelmed with this truth. He says, you cannot tame the tongue. And so I have two choices. Either I say, well, you can kind of tame it, just he's using, uh, like speech. Overspe- I don't think that's what, I don't think he's overstating anything. I think he's saying a very simple fact. When you tame something, the animal is completely under control. The tame animal has been broken. It's no longer wild. It won't attack you. It's been domesticated. And once you've tamed the beast, you can step back, relax, and enjoy it. I do it with horses, right? They break the horse. They have to break the horse. And once they break the horse, they can use the horse and enjoy it. You can never relax when it comes to controlling your speech, there will never be a time in your life when you can say, I figured out my tongue, got it. We're good to go. I can just enjoy like the, the speech that I'm able to participate in. I never have to worry about saying something out of place or out of, or inappropriate. This does not mean we should not submit our speech and bring it under the authority of God's word. It just means that you can never get to the point where your speech is good, where you have solved the speech issue. We will always have to work Very difficult, very very hard with with the spirit of God's help to do what we're supposed to do. Look at these verses from Ephesians 4. The Bible tells us, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only what's good for necessary edification, that your words may impart what? Grace. Grace, God's good gifts. Your words can give, be a conduit of God's grace to the hearers. Other people can receive God's grace through your speech. Look at Colossians 4. Let your speech always be what? With grace. It ought to be gracious. You ought to speak that which is appropriate and that which is great. And he, and he has this really colorful language seasoned with salt. Does not mean you can be salty in your language. He's saying it ought to be pleasing, it ought to be gracious, it ought to be good that each one of you may know how you ought to answer one another. We've got to be very careful, friends. And you look at verse 8. He says that the tongue is an unruly evil. It's uncontrollable and wild. It's full of deadly poison. Living with the tongue like we all do is like living with a poisonous snake in your house. You better be aware of what it's doing so it doesn't end up destroying your family. You can't get rid of it. It's there. But if you had a poisonous snake living in your house, you would know it if it escaped its cage. The same is true with our tongue. We must be always aware of what we're saying. Let's keep going. He says that thirdly, that the tongue, I put it this way, cannot be trusted. I want you to see where I'm going here because this last part of the warning about our tongue focuses on its unnaturalness. The tongue is an unnatural evil. It reflects in a way the duplicitous double-minded man in chapter 1 There's two kind of tendencies I see here. First, a tendency towards hypocrisy. In verse 9, he says, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the image or in the similitude of God. How is it that the same person can walk into church on Sunday and praise God and walk into a job on Monday and curse a man? He says, don't you know men are made in the image of God? The Bible tells us this from the first chapter of the Bible. In the image of God, he created man. male and female, he made them. God makes people in his image, and you walk around, you curse people like it's nothing. He says it matters. There's a hypocrisy here, he says, with it. How can you do that? Secondly, there's a tendency to do duplicity or, or being like double-minded or being double-tongued here. He says out of the same mouth, you've got blessings and cursings. H- how is that possible, brethren? How can a person be a person who blesses and curses? James is making it clear in the second part of verse 10 that these things ought not so to be. When it comes to our speech, there's a difference between the way things are and the way things ought to be. And he says, let me show you what's wrong, how how wicked and how unnatural our tongue is. And he goes to the area of natural science. Look at verse 11. He said, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And just as everything we say comes from within us, it comes from our heart, if you were to look at a spring or a tree, the fruit it bears, the water that comes out of it is produced deep within. And, and it's not going to produce different things. You're not going to, to, to dip your, your, your cup into a spring and drink sweet, beautiful water, then dip the, again and the same uh, and drink, and it's bitter and terrible. If it produces good water, it produces good water. And so, here, Jewish wisdom books like Proverbs uh, often appeal to observation as a method for instruction. I mean, think about all the times it does that in Proverbs. Go to the ant, you sluggard. I looked by, I uh, uh, saw a man whose, 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 whose um, house was broken down and whose field was all overgrown. Remember these these passages in Proverbs that show us to look by observation. So he does the same thing here. He says, you don't see this kind of stuff in nature. You don't have an apple tree that you go out to the apple tree and you look at it and it's like, oh, it's got pears today. That's kind of neat. No, it's an apple tree or it's a pear tree. You don't go to your fig tree and it has grapes on it. That doesn't make any sense. There are whatever it produces, it produces. He What is going on with the unnaturalness of our tongue That, that we produce multiple things from our tongue? Good and bad. Your tongue is an unnatural evil. Your tongue is untrustworthy, which is why I say never let your guard down with how you speak. And I want to draw our attention here to the conclusion because this has been a very, very negative, if you want to think of it that way, perspective on how we are to speak. But I've entitled this message, Grace-Filled Speech. How are we to actually speak with grace in our hearts? what example do we possibly have? What should we do? Do we have a pattern to follow? Because of the tongue's powerful potential, because of its evil tendencies, you, Christian, must fully submit every word to Christ so that when you speak, it's filled with grace. Everything we teach, everything we lead must be in keeping with the truth Knowing that as we lead people, we will be given greater scrutiny. We must not respond with fleshly anger. We must not, we must not lie or speak against truth. We must give Christ as our example. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. And I'll put it up on the screen behind me here so you don't have to turn there. But if you'd like, you can. And 1 Peter 2, the, the Apostle Peter is talking to us about how we are to live. And he says this, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. To be a disciple of Christ is to follow in the steps of Jesus, to walk as Christ walked. We look at how he spoke and how he spoke to others, and we pattern our lives after him. How does he describe Jesus' speech? What does he go to when he says follow in his steps? He immediately goes to Jesus' speech. Look at this, verse 22. He quotes from Isaiah and he says, Who committed no sin? nor was deceit found in his mouth. Verse 23, who, when he was reviled, the word reviled means abused, misused, mocked, and was anyone mocked more or abused more than Christ? I say not. When he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, did not threaten their speech again, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Do you think about the way when Jesus suffered on the cross, by the way, for your sin, not for any sin of his? When he died on that cross, he did not lash out in anger. He did not get angry and frustrated with the people who were hurting him, persecuting him, mocking him, plucking his beard, kicking him, spitting on him. Here he was, the one who sustained their breath that they were using to mock him. Jesus stood and took it all willingly when he was reviled. He did not revile in return, but he committed himself to the one who judges righteously. He, the Son of God, committed himself to the Father completely and fully. You think about the willingness to humbly submit to the will of the Father in this moment, and this shows you our attitude as it ought to be with how we speak. Grace-filled speech, being a person whose mind is under control so your speech is under control so you actually are the, quote, perfect man, or here the mature man, the one who has bridled his body, never letting down the control you have, but always guarding your mouth. Friend, when when you speak words of grace, you're speaking like Jesus. And when people come at you and they mock you and they hurl insults at you and you don't retaliate, you're acting like Christ. And when you bring grace in your hearts, when you bring trust in the Father, when you are being humiliated and humbled and you bring it all to the Father, that is the example of the Son. That is the example of Christ. When we look at our dangerous tongue, how do we live with it? Well, you commit yourself to the Father. In just a moment, we're going to have a moment of prayer. And I'm going to do this I hope you will do this. If you know Christ is your Savior, you know you have the Spirit of God living in you. The Word of God works in you, and God's Spirit has most likely convicted you of some area in your life. God, God's Word and God's Spirit always works through His Word. In just a moment, as, as we have this quiet, I will be praying and asking God to just purify my tongue and cleanse me. You know, it's amazing when Isaiah the prophet had a vision of God in the temple in Isaiah 6, he immediately responded with, "'Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips.'" He recognized his speech was not where it should be. And no doubt, there are people here who need to get on their knees before God, and, and we'll have a moment of quiet where you can do this and say, Lord, I, I have failed in this area. I have been saying things, leading people astray. <clears throat> I have been doing things. that do not honor you, Lord. Lord, please forgive me. The amazing thing is that God's grace is given freely to those who call upon him. And that God's not here to beat you down with a big stick and say, bad boy, bad boy, you horrible person. God is offering His grace and His love to you through Jesus Christ. So as you come to Him as one who seeks forgiveness, you must seek forgiveness owning your sin. You say, yes, I'm the sinner. Yes, it's my speech that's so bad. God, I need your grace. When you come to Him like that, He gives it to you fully. There's nothing held back. God isn't saying, well, we'll see how you do before I give you any forgiveness. No, He forgives and cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. And friend, if you don't know that forgiveness because you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you need to come to Him today and throw yourself at His mercy. Humble your heart before Him as a sinner and say, Lord, I desperately need a Savior. I need to be saved from my sin. The Bible tells us that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you bow before Jesus as your King, You come to Him in faith. You say, Lord, I trust you, not my own works, not my own righteousness, nothing which I have done, but according to your mercy, I trust on you fully. Please save me. The Bible tells us an amazing thing happens. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And that's all done through our Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that we can have peace with God? You're struggling, you don't have peace with God. It's through Christ. You don't have peace with men because your language is just a disaster area. You, your speech is out of control. Bring it before God today. Ask Him through the Spirit of God to give you control, self control as a fruit of the Spirit, and to reflect the character of our Christ. Father, we ask you now, as we come and bow before you, we'll take these few moments to pray and commit ourselves. Lord, I pray you'd work in hearts as the pianist plays, deal with the Lord. Dear Father, we come to you today knowing that we are weak and we are in need of your grace, that we might have grace-filled speech with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with our family members, with our children, with our spouses, with those at work, and with those we just meet on the side of the road or in the supermarket or wherever we happen to be. God, you have placed all these people in our lives for different reasons, and we ask, God, you'd give us the words to say that we might open our mouths and that you might be glorified in what we do. And today, Lord, we know that there are many who need to confess and still need to confess of shortcomings and sins and stumblings that we've had. Lord, forgive us of those, and may we walk and live all for Jesus.